Chan Gailey. Any of you have ever heard of football coach Chan Gailey? He coached for the uh, uh, Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at one point. He coached for the Dallas Cowboys at one point. Um, very successful head coach uh, in the NFL. Very successful head coach in college. And uh, he tells the story of about when he was younger. And when he was younger, uh, he was the coach uh, at a small college, uh, Alabama's Troy State. And they were getting ready to play for the national championship. Now, the week before the big game, he was headed to the practice field when a secretary called him back to take a phone call. And he was kind of irritated. And he, and he said, you know, I got to get out there. And he told her to take a message because he was on his way to practice. And she said, but it's Sports Illustrated. I'll be right there. So he turns around, goes in to talk uh, on the phone. And as he made his way to the building, he began to think about this upcoming article, this article they're going to write about him, about his team, and he's thinking about what they're going to write about. It, it would be great publicity for such a small school. It would be a great stepping stone in his career. And as he got closer, you know, he, he realized, well, a three-page article just, just wouldn't be enough. And so he started thinking more and more about the pictures they would take. And, and what kind of picture would he would be on the cover? Because he'd be on the cover, right? And, and would it be, a, would it be a, a, a posed shot? Maybe an action shot of him coaching. And so he's got all these thoughts racing through his mind as he gets ready to, to take, uh, the pick up the phone. And so he goes in, he picks up the phone, he says, Hello, this is Chan Gailey. They said, Is this Chan Gailey? Yes, it is. This is Sports Illustrated. And we're calling to let you know that your subscription is running out. Are you interested in renewing? <laughs> he concluded the story by saying, you are either humble or you will be humbled. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're in every way, right? Well, this morning we are talking about humility and pride, humility and arrogance, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 16, verse 18, the, Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs says, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Here on Sunday mornings in 2013, we've been looking at the book of 1 Peter. And we're talking about basic. We're talking about this idea that we are uh, getting back to the basics of what we believe, the basics of what Christians believe, the basics of what uh, a Christian does. We're talking about uh, what we believe and how we behave, what a Christian is supposed to do, what a Christian's not supposed to do. And so we're looking at this book of First Peter. Now, coming up, uh, just so you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate Palm Sunday. And uh, we're going to have a special message on that day. And then the following week, we're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And we'll have a special message that day. And then we're going to get into the book of Second Peter in the month of April. And then we're going to conclude that series. And we're going to do some stuff down the road. I've got an exciting series coming up called Words with Friends. And uh, we'd love for you to join us for that. Uh, we're, how many of you play Words with Friends on your phone or on Facebook? Yeah, we're going to talk about words with friends later on this year, so I'm very excited about that. And i got a cool thing planned for the summer, too, kind of in the vein of what we did last summer. So you'll, you'll see what we're going to do when we do that. So we've got a lot of uh, exciting uh, things coming up here at Griffith First Christian Church, and uh, we'd love for you to join us for these upcoming series. But we're talking about the basics. We're talking about the basics of humility. You know, one of the basics of being a Christian is that we are 
humble. One of the basics of being a Christian is that we are not prideful. We are not arrogant. And rather than self-promotion, a Christian needs to let God lift him or her up. Now, if you have a Bible or if you can grab a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you, and uh, you can grab a Bible. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 7. And uh, take your bulletin. Uh, if, you have, if you grabbed a bulletin on the way in, grab your bulletin. Turn it over. You will find the handy-dandy outline, or the HDO as we like to call it. Or I should say, as I like to call it. I don't know anybody else who likes to call it the HDO, but I do. So grab a Bible, turn to the HDO, and we will begin filling in some blanks. There should be pencils in front of you as well, or if you brought a pen, that works as well. Now, the first blank on your outline, the first group that Peter addresses are elders, the elders of the church. And the question is, is what should we expect from our church leaders? What should we expect from our church leaders? And the first blank is that we should expect them to be humble, humble elders. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those he entrusted, those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There are three characteristics of elders that Peter talks about in this passage. And uh, I want you to know that we have two elders here uh, at this time. Uh, They are Tony and John, and they do a great job. And and I really honestly can say to you that they uh, are humble in their their, um, leading of our church. They're very, very humble men. And uh, we'll talk about that for just a moment. But the first characteristic of an elder is that elders are shepherds. Elders are shepherds. Now, a shepherd is obviously somebody who takes care of sheep, right? It's in there. It's almost in there. It'd be sheepherds if if it was in there. But it's shepherds. And a shepherd is obviously somebody who takes care of sheep. They watch the sheep. They guard the sheep. They take care of the sheep. uh, They protect the sheep. In Peter's day, a shepherd was relatively low on the rung of society's ladder. It wasn't the most glamorous job in the world. In fact, shepherds often smelled like sheep. I don't know how much time you have spent with sheep. I don't know how much time you spent in the presence. I don't know how many sheep you have sniffed in your lifetime. Sheep don't smell very good. They don't bathe. They get stuff in their wool. You know, they're kind of nasty. And they're not very bright. They're not very smart. It makes you wonder why God calls us sheep. And it's not even that they're not very bright. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, but sheep, you've heard the, the expression, pull the wool over your eyes. The problem is that a sheep, a lamb will have its wool grow over its eyes and it can't see. And so they kind of come off as dumb because they don't know where they're going. And in fact, if one sheep kind of falls over, kind of follow and fall in line, and if one sheep goes over the, the cliff, they just kind of keep going over the cliff. Because they can't see and they're not very bright. And like I said, it makes you wonder why God calls a sheep. But anyway, uh, a, a shepherd um, is responsible. Well, a shepherd was completely responsible for all the sheep in his care. And not just responsible, financially liable. If you lost a lamb, if you lost a sheep, you had to pay the owner of the sheep for that lamb. And they didn't make much money. Like I said, they were really low on society's ladder. 
And so they had to pay for the lambs that they lost. And so if you're a shepherd and you are entrusted with these sheep, you are going to watch over them. You are going to care for them. You are going to protect them no matter what the cost. You got to take care of your sheep. And that's what an elder is supposed to do. An elder is supposed to protect the sheep, guard the sheep, take care of the sheep, watch over the sheep. That interest, it's kind of interesting how shepherds would guard sheep in Peter's day. They would take and they would build a pen around the sheep. They would grab shrubs and, and sticks and rocks and stuff. And they would build this pen all around the sheep. And then they would bring the sheep in through the gate. There would be a little gate. And they would bring them in. And they would put them down for the night. And then the shepherd would go and he would lay down across the opening to the pen. He'd lay in the, on the ground in the opening where the, where the, of the pen. And so this way, if... A thief came to steal a sheep, or if a wild animal came to steal a sheep and eat a sheep, they had to go through who? They had to go through the shepherd, because the shepherd guarded the sheep. The shepherd, literally, when Jesus said he's the good shepherd and he lays down his life for the sheep, that's exactly what he meant. I lay down my life for the sheep. I will do anything to protect those sheep. That's what an elder's supposed to do, to lay down across the opening to the pen for the sheep, to protect the sheep. So elders are shepherds. That's the first thing they do. They are humble shepherds. The second thing, uh, the second characteristic is that an elder must be eager to serve. An elder must be eager to serve. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me read that one more time. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't expect anyone to serve him. He didn't expect anybody to come and serve him. He was the king of kings, lord of lords, reigning at God's right hand at the, at, uh, at the throne of heaven. You know, angels, kajillions of angels worshiping him all the time. And yet he gave up the glory of heaven to come to earth and to be a servant. He didn't expect anyone to serve him. He served by giving his life. Elders must be humble in their attitude and be willing to serve God and others. Eager to serve. Eager to give their lives in service to God and others. The position of elder, it's not a prideful position. It is a, it is a position of service. The last blank on your outline comes from Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And the elders are to be the examples for the flock. Elders, uh, elders are to be examples to the flock. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, uh, Paul writes that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was our ultimate example of humility. He is the example that elders are to follow. He is the example that elders are uh, to exemplify to the flock. That attitude of service, that attitude of humility. It says in Philippians 2, 8 there that even death on a cross. The cross, a Roman cross was the most humiliating, excruciating way to die. It, just humiliating. It was more than just nails. It was more than just a flogging. Uh, it was, ooh. Pardon me. It was more than just a flogging, more than just a beating. It was a humiliating way to die. They would strip you naked. 
completely naked, and they would beat you, spit on you, mock you, and make fun of you, and then nail you to a cross. It was excruciating, and it was humiliating. That is how Jesus died. He offered his life as a perfect human sacrifice for you and for me, so that our sins could be forgiven. And that humiliation that he took on himself, that is the same attitude that elders are to have. They are to be humble examples and examples of humility to the flock. Elders are not perfect. I've worked with them for 16 years. Elders are not perfect. You know what? I got a news flash for you. All right? Neither are ministers. <gasps> no. Yes. Ministers are sinners. Elders are sinners. Deacons are sinners. Christians are what? Sinners. We're all sinners. We're in this boat together, folks. None of us is perfect. None of us have it all together. I believe that when, Paul, when Peter says that the elders are to be examples to the flock, it's not an example of sinless perfection. It is an example of humble service. That is the example that the elders are to be giving to the flock, an example of humble service. Second blank on your outline this morning is humble followers. Humble followers. If leaders are called to be humble, so must those who follow them. Look at the first half of, of chapter 5, verse 5. It says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older, the elders. So those who are following Christ... Uh, under the leadership of the elders of the church, those, uh, uh, the rest of us, all of us who submit to their authority, are to do so humbly, to submit to their authority. Now, it says young men, right? And so maybe the ladies are saying, all right, I'm off the hook. I can do whatever I want. The Greek construction there, uh, the way the original language puts it, is it means everybody. It, it, it uses a part of speech that literally means both men and women. So everybody needs to submit to the elders. Everyone submits to the leaders of the church. Leaders who lead with humility and uh, the followers are supposed to follow in humility. You may think you know better. You may hear a decision that the elders have made or that the leadership of the church has made. And you may think, well, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I can't believe that they would do that. I can't believe, those guys don't know what they're doing. What a boneheaded decision they made. No, no offense, John, no offense, Tony, you guys have never done that. But, uh, but you may be thinking to yourselves, you know, you may hear something come from the leadership of the church and think, what are they doing? We are called, and this includes myself, because I believe in an elder-run church. I believe that the Bible, uh, the biblical plan for church leadership is an elder-run church, not a pastor-driven church. It is an elder-run church. And so we all submit to the leadership of the elders. We have to trust that they are seeking God's word and seeking God's will. And if they are seeking God's face and seeking God's will and seeking God's word, then we have to trust that God is going to lead them in the direction that he has called us all to go. Now, if they are in error scripturally, if they make a decision that seems to go against what Scripture teaches, well, then we need to have a serious discussion. You know, why, why did we make this decision when it seems to clearly go against what the Bible tells us to do? But on matters of opinion, matters of issues, uh, issues that uh, are not biblical, 
We follow their lead. And we trust that they are seeking God's face, seeking God's will, and seeking God's word. And the one thing that we need to know about elders is that God has promised to judge them strictly. That being an elder is a tough job. And it says, uh, teachers who teach well are worthy of double honor. One of the roles of an elder is to be a teacher. I believe that elders are called to a high position, but it is a high position of service. And they are to be serving the congregation. They are to be serving God. And that God will judge them according to the way that they have served him, served him and served others. Okay, last blank on your outline. You're thinking, wow, that was quick. Until now. Last blank on your outline is humble Christians. Humble Christians. 1 Peter chapter 5, the second half of verse 5 and verse 6. All of you, it's everybody, clothe yourselves. This includes elders, leaders, everybody. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. There are two ways that we need to be humble. We need to be humble toward one another. Uh, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. In humility consider others better than yourselves. Peter was writing to everybody. He was writing to uh, Christians of all stripes. He was writing to the leaders. He was writing to the, the ministers. He was writing to the, the folks uh, in the congregation and the churches. And, so, and he's telling them that they have to be humble in our attitudes toward one another. That when we look at one another, that when you see somebody else in your church family, you look at them and go, you know what, you're more important than I am. But that goes against everything we think, right? I want it my way. Burger King promises that they will make it your way, right? How many of you have been to, have any of you been to Five Guys Burgers and Fries? I, I promise I won't talk about food too much because it's like getting towards lunchtime. You've been to Five Guys Burgers and Fries? Have you seen the coolest pot machine in the world at Five Guys? It's this computerized screen and there's like eight different kinds of Coke and then you push the one you want and it shoots to this other screen and then it's got like seven different ways that you can make the Coke. There's like 215,000 combinations. It's awesome. It's like, hmm, I think I'll have Sprite Zero and I think I'm going to put some cherry flavor in it. And then you push the button and the stuff comes out. It's just awesome. It's like, this is the coolest thing ever. It's a Coke machine and it's like, Awesome. I mean, you can have it however way you want it. The same thing goes, the other thing they do there is there are literally like 213,000 combinations of the way that you can get a burger made at, at Five Guys. Okay, I'll stop talking about food. All right, because now I want Five Guys. But uh, they have like 20 different toppings and you can put all the different combinations and everything. It's just fantastic. We live in a world that wants to give it to you your way, that you can have whatever you want, whenever you want. Uh, everything we do is instantaneous gratification. You know, somebody asked me a question. Hey, you know, what's the, the square root of 5,472? I'm like, there's this great website. It's called Google.com. And at your fingertips is the entire world of information. Google it, right? You know, but I mean, you can get that instantaneously. Whatever you want, whenever you want it, you can have it right now. Why? Because you're the most important thing on the planet. At least that's the way we're conditioned to think. It's all about me. 
It's all about me and what I want and what I need and, and having it my way. God says, no, it's not about you. It's about others. I love the simple definition of joy. Jesus, others, you. J-O-Y. Jesus first, others second, you last. But it goes against everything we think. It goes against everything we believe. I want to be happy. And the best way to make me happy is to give me whatever I want. We're like spiritual toddlers. You know? Because you, you, you deal with the toddler long enough. And believe me, two to three years is long enough. You deal, and some of you who have more than one kid, wow, kudos to you. But, uh, you know, you, I mean, goodness, my, my, they're in my family... Um, my brother has three boys under the age of three. He deserves a medal. Because they're all getting like terrible two, terrible two, terrible two. That's like six years of terrible twos. Anyway, um, anyway, uh, well, how do you make a toddler happy? You give him what he wants. How do you make a toddler sad? Take away what he wants. It's just that simple. And yet we're all like kind of like spiritual toddlers. As we get older, it's like, how do you make me happy? Give me what I want. How do you make me sad? Take away what I want. What do you mean I can't have it? What do you mean I can't have what I want? What do you mean I can't serve myself? What do you mean I can't take care of myself? What do you mean I can't give myself everything I want? You can't. Jesus, others, you. Other people are more important than you. Let me tell you how this affects the church. This is going to get uncomfortable. Because we live in a church, we live in a world where the church is supposed to make us happy and make us comfortable and make us feel good, right? It's all about us. The church exists for me. The church exists for my family. The church exists for my spiritual benefit, for my spiritual growth. In a way, that might be true, but in a way, it's really, really wrong. I've heard it said that the church is the only organization on the planet that exists for the benefit of its non-members. See, it's not about us. It's not about where you're sitting right now. It's not about the bench you're sitting on. It's not about this building. It's about people who don't know Christ. It's about reaching out to our community and telling people that Jesus loves them. It's about getting the people who are out there in here, no matter what. Because other people are more important than us. And that's kind of hard to hear. We don't like that. I don't want other people to be more important than me. I want me to be more important than me. Yeah. But no. That's not what it's about. It's about other people. It's about serving others. It's about doing away with arrogance and pride. Because that's a prideful attitude. It's all about me. That's a lot of pride there. Doing away with arrogance, doing away with pride, loving and serving one another in humility and love. The second way that we are to be hum humble is to be humble toward God. We need to be humble toward God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. See, Peter quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, and that says, He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. You see, when we humble ourselves, we receive what? Grace. 
And that is the greatest thing that we can receive. That is the biggest need that we have. We need grace. We need God's grace. Well, why? Because we're sinners and we fall short of God's expectations. And, and we sin and we... I've got to stop stepping in front of that thing. We sin and we fall short of God's expectations. We, we do the things we're not supposed to do and we don't do the things that we're supposed to do. So we're, we're in trouble. Because God says he can't be with sinners. And if we're all sinners, then God can't be with us and we can't be with God. And and now we're in real trouble. That's where grace comes in. Because we need God's amazing grace. And how do we receive God's amazing grace? How do we receive this second chance with God? Faith. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. We believe that he is the son of God and that he died for our sins. We repent we turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness. We say, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live for God. We confess. We publicly proclaim our faith and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He's my Lord and Savior. And then we obey Him by being baptized. We get baptized. And, and when we get baptized, the Bible says He washes away our sins and He forgives us our sins and He fills us with His Holy Spirit. And then we begin that journey. That journey of faith that leads us to our heavenly home. That journey of faith that leads us to becoming fully surrendered disciples. Fully surrendered followers of Jesus. Where nothing else matters except for Christ. That's what happens when we receive God's grace. But it starts with humility and not pride. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it yourself. If you got kids, you probably heard, I can do it myself. You need help? Nope, I'll do it myself. You want me to help you with that? Nope, I'm going to do it myself. Salvation is something that you can't do yourself. It's not a do-it-yourself project. You can't get it at the Home Depot. Salvation is a process that begins with humility. It's realizing that you don't have it all together. And maybe you're like me, and maybe you, that's a glaring uh, apparent obvious conclusion is that I don't have it all together. But when we humble ourselves before God here on earth, he lifts us up and will exalt us in heaven. The challenge I have for you today comes from verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he what? He cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Sometimes we wonder, does God really care? Does God really care about me? The disciples wondered that. The disciples wondered if Jesus cared about them. They were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and the boat was being tossed in a storm, and they thought they were going to die. These seasoned fishermen who had been on this lake thousands of times thought they were going to die. Where was Jesus? He was sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And they run to Jesus and they wake him up and they say, don't you care if we drown? What a strange question to ask the God of the universe. Don't you care? And what does Jesus do? He gets up and he rebukes the storm and he calms the storm. He says, peace, be still. Sometimes we wonder if 
God really cares about us. And maybe you're going through a tough time. Maybe you're having a, a rough go of things. You know, maybe you miss somebody. Maybe you're going through the ringer. And, and you know what? We all have fear. We all have worry. We all have doubts. We have anxiety. But what does Peter say to do? He says to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. So give God your burden of worry. Why? Because he cares about you. Give him your fear. Why? Because he cares for you. Give him your doubt. Doubt? I can, I can give God my doubt? Absolutely. Give God your doubt because he cares for you. Give him your worries. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you for you. He knows you and he loves you and he sees you right where you are, right where you're sitting at this very moment. He sees you and he is loving you right now, right there where you sit. And he is just begging you, please give it to me. Quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to do it yourself. Give it to me. Cast, throw, heap, hurl all your worry and fear and doubt and anxiety. Put it on me, he says. Because I care for you. Because I love you. I love you so much. You don't even know. I love you so much, I I sent my son to die for you. I sent my son to give his life for you. That's how much I love you. He took that punishment for us on the cross. Because God didn't want us to suffer. He doesn't want you to suffer. He wants you to know joy and hope and peace. And love. So whatever fears and worries, anxieties, doubts you may have, give them to God and say, God, I can't do it anymore. I give up. I surrender. I can't do this anymore. I can't. Give him your fear. Give him your worries. Give him your doubts. Give him your anxiety. Cast all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you care for us. I thank you that you reach out to us every day in love, just reaching out, giving us your love and hope and peace and joy. Thank you, God, for taking care of us and providing for us. God, sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we worry. Sometimes we doubt. I pray that you would reach through all of that with your hope and peace and love. And remind us each day that you really do care about us. Help us to be humble before you, knowing that you are God and we are not. And that you can handle it and we can't. That you can take care of us even when we can't take care of ourselves. Thank you for sending your son Jesus. And we pray these things in his name.